right. Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, you can turn to the chapter he was on, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That's where we'll be tonight. Um, now, there is one thing I wanted to clarify, um, just as you're turning there. Uh, if you if were handed a handout um, from the ushers, uh, it's not, I'm not doing a PowerPoint. It's not something to follow along. Um, those are just some extra questions um, for, that you can use in your own study um, for your own um, heart questions that you can ask yourself when it comes to money. Um, so you'll be confused if you try and follow along um, as I'm going with those questions. Those are just extra because when I, I mean, with everything I've been preparing for this, I, I can't cover everything. And so I, I thought that would be helpful um, after I speak on this passage for you to take home and um, just use for yourself. Um, so again, he uh, went over Second Corinthians chapter 8, and that's that passage of what he just talked about is what we'll look at tonight. Now, the title of this message is A Generous Church in a Stingy World, and if you've been here at night, or if you haven't, um, we're going through the um, series on gospel-shaped living. So, so what is the how does the gospel shape our living? How does it shape everything that we do in our lives? And tonight, we want to look at generosity. How, how is the gospel shape um, our generosity, and specifically when it comes to money? Um, so the Macedonian church here, um, they're talking a lot about their giving financially. Um, but generosity is more than that, but we are going to look at money tonight. So we're going to look at generosity in the church and how that distinguishes us from the unbelieving world around us. And so that means we're going to talk about money, and it's obviously sometimes an uncomfortable issue to talk about. People don't like to talk about their personal finances, or they don't like to be told what to do with their money. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I was assigned this uh, passage. Uh, it's not the first one I would have chosen, and... You know, I mean, because it's a big struggle for me, too. And, but this uh, study, and especially this passage of Scripture, has been really helpful to me. So hopefully, as we look at it tonight together, we can, it'll be helpful to you, too. Um, so get some money. Uh, you know, the, the reformer Martin Luther said that the last place a man is changed by the gospel is in his wallet. And 500 years later, that's still very true today. And author Paul Tripp says, when it comes to money, there's a fundamental disconnect between what we believe and the way we live our life. But it's a very important issue to talk about. And Jesus talked about money a lot in the Gospels. He actually talked about money more than he did heaven and hell. Um, of the 39 parables recorded in the Gospels, 11 of them are about money. And actually, almost the entire book of Luke has something to do with money. Um, so it's a, it's a huge issue. I mean, the apostles address this all the time. Every church usually had an issue that they were dealing with, um, with money. Um, so as we, as we, before we look at the passage, just, just a couple things as we look at generosity. We're not going to talk everything that the Bible says about money. Um, we're not going to talk about everything. Um, but just a couple things of what the Bible is pretty clear on. I mean, first, money is not evil. Um, having resources, having material things, they're, they're not evil. Um, you know, being rich is not wrong, and God's not calling all of us to give away everything that we have. Um, money is not evil in, its, in, it, in and of itself. It's the desire to be rich that is wrong. I mean, that's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's, it's that desire and the love of money, of where the sin is. And, and that's why we're going to look at 
what generosity really is, is about our hearts. And so we want to look at what generosity of the heart is. So again, God um, gives us resources. We know that it's true that God created everything. So thus, money, resources, material things, they're not evil. God, God gave, gives them to us. Um, everything is from him. Um, and we're, it doesn't mean we have to give everything away. I mean, he, he actually says if, you know, um, if a man does not provide for his family's basic needs, he has denied the faith, faith and is worse than an unbeliever in 1 Timothy 5.8. And so, obviously, it's, there are other things we use money on. But with that said, Christians should excel in giving. Um, they should be known as a generous people. That's what God has called us to, and, and that's what we want to look at tonight with the Macedonian church. Um, and so... Inevitably, when we talk about generosity, when we talk about giving, the two questions that come up are, okay, what do we do, who do we give it to, and how much do I have to give? Um, that's usually the two questions that come up. And because we're looking at more of the heart tonight, but just to address that, we're in 2 Corinthians. Actually, in 1 Corinthians, Paul does address that a little more to this church. Um, and, and really throughout all the New Testament, primarily, um, your generosity, your giving, is, is funneled through your local church. I mean, you, so you look at the book of Acts, um, primarily people were giving to their local church. That's why you have the deacons originally created, the office of deacon was originally created to disperse the money that was given to them. Um, and then, you know, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says you should pay your leaders. So, so, so again, primarily it's there, but that's not the only place you give. And so the second question is, is, well, how much do I have to give? Really, how much do we have to give? And I just want to be clear tonight, um, the Bible does not give a, a percentage that you have to give. There, there's nothing in Scripture that says that you have to give a specific amount, a specific percentage. And I think it does that on purpose, um, because that's, it's not about the amount, it's not about the percentage you give. Now, I mean, if you give 10, if you've been taught you give 10%, that's fine. Um, but that's not what we're going to look at, and we'll see it tonight. Um, that, that's not what the Bible teaches. And then just one more thing, just with the Old Testament tithe, because um, I know some people will think that. I know I thought that when I first looked at this. I mean, the Old Testament tithe was, it was more of a tax to, to help the nation of Israel um, function, because they, they had a totally different type of government, and so they were required to give that tithe. And it wasn't 10%. It was actually, if you add up all the tithes, it was 23% that they gave. And then on top of that, they were actually supposed to give a temple tax and a free will offering. And that's, that's sort of what we're going to look at tonight is what is that free will offering? Um, because if you, if you read the Old Testament, um, when the prophets are, are saying, you know, when, when God is condemning the people, um, for their ties, it's really this free will offering that he's talking about. So, what we are now to get to what we are going to talk about tonight. Um, if you look in your Bibles at second, we're at, in Second Corinthians eight, but if you go to chapter nine, this sort of gets at the heart. Paul's sort of summarizing everything he's saying here. Second Corinthians nine, uh, verse seven. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so right there, I mean, that's the heart of generosity. I mean, if 
if you want the main point of this, this, this is the heart of, of where our heart should be when we give, when we think about money. God loves a cheerful giver. It's free. God wants us to give freely. So we're going to look at the motivation and the heart of generosity. So I hope that after we talk tonight, we can say, um, like the church in Macedonia, instead of how much do I have to give, it's how much can I give. Um, so let's look at, I'll just read the passage again, um, and we'll see this church here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given the church in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so we should complete among you this act of grace. But as, I, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich." And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And we'll stop there. And just jump ahead, you can jump ahead to chapter 9 again, verse 7. He said, because in verse 6 he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, he talked about it in the video a, lot, a little bit, but just I just want to give you some background of what's going on here and why Paul is, is giving them this example of the Macedonian church. Um, so this is, this is the church in Corinth he's writing to. And so in 1 Corinthians, which is the first letter Paul writes to him, in, um, you can look at this later for yourselves, but in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, the first four verses, Paul gives them this. He says, take, a, take up a collection um, for the church in Jerusalem. So this is, he's sort of following up on something he's already told them to do. And so he's saying, take up a collection, a weekly collection, for the church in Jerusalem, because the church in Jerusalem was very poor, I mean extremely poor, and they'd been that way for a long time. I mean, this is later in Paul's ministry. The church in Jerusalem that was started right after Pentecost, they'd been poor, they'd been poor for a long time. And so Paul, on his missionary journeys, would go to these different churches and take up collections to take to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Um, and if you read in uh, Acts chapter 2, the church in Jerusalem, the people there had, for the poorer people in their church, a long time ago they had already sold all their possessions. They had sold everything they could to take care of their, and so this is years later. They're still poor. They're still struggling. And so, I mean, you can see in, in Romans 15, Paul talks about this all, all through Acts. Um, and he does, in, in Acts 24, he does eventually 
take the money there. So, so what he's looking at in 2 Corinthians, um, in this letter, is he, what happened in the church in Corinth is some people had come in and they had uh, pretty much told the church that Paul was in this for himself. You know, he really, he wanted that you guys to take this collection because he's a Jew and he wants to only give this money to the Jewish church. He really doesn't care about you guys. So, so really the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians is, is Paul defending himself. He's saying, I'm not in this for the money. It's like, and so he, he defends his apostleship. And so essentially now he's saying in, in chapter 8, you know, now that everything's ironed out, now that everything's good, um, continue your giving. Continue what you started. You know, you already started this collection, just continue it. And so that's um, what's going on here. But the point we want to look at tonight is, I think it jumped out to me right away, is in verse 2 when it says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. And so, I mean, that doesn't make much sense. Uh, I think the first thing you would think is, wait, in a severe test of affliction and extreme poverty, why would they be giving? Why, why would they want to give generously? Why would they be begging Paul, like he says in verse 4? Why they'd be begging us earnestly for the favor and taking part of the relief of the saints. And this is, this is the heart of generosity. This is what we're going to look at um, tonight. And so here's the main point um, of what Paul is saying here, and, and I, I want hopefully the main point tonight to be, is that God, God does not look at the outward or the, the amount of our giving. He's looking at our heart attitudes. The Macedonian church was extremely poor, yet overwhelmingly generous. God's not looking to build his church with those who have the most money or who can, who can give the most. He is looking for faithful followers, followers who are eager to use his money and his resources to participate in his kingdom work. So generosity is about their hearts. It's about our hearts. And so there's three points we're going to look at. It's actually on the handout. If, if you look at, that's the one part of my message I did put in the handout. Uh, the three points we'll look at is the motivation of their generosity, two is their sacrificial generosity, and three is the joyful generosity in their giving. So first, what was this? What, what, was, what would motivate the Macedonian church to give like they did? And we see it, the answer is right in verse 1. And so Paul's saying, brothers, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So this grace, what is this grace? This grace of God that had been given to this church in Macedonia for them to cause them to give so generously, no matter what their circumstances were. So what is this grace? And I think the answer is down in verse 9, where he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so right there is the, that's the gospel right there. In verse 9, that, that's the gospel that Christ gave to us. I mean, it, though he was rich, that means he, he possessed everything. Everything was his, even spiritually, um, materially, everything. The whole, he was there when the world was created. Yet, for your sake, he became poor. I mean, that's the same thing in, in Philippians when he says he, he you know, had, he had it all, but he became a servant for our sakes 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich, so that we could receive salvation. So this is the gospel. This gospel is what the Macedonian church had received. They had received it from Paul and uh, from the, their other leaders that came and, and shared the gospel to them originally. They had received this. And, and I should say, the Macedonian church, um, I didn't say it earlier, was made up of the church in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. So those were the three churches that we know um, that Paul went to. That, they were in this Macedonian area. And so, so we know that the, this area was extremely poor. I mean, this area was, uh, when the Romans came in, this is a Greek area, and when the Romans came in, it was a, like a mining area. And when the Romans came in, they essentially enslaved everybody. Um, and so this is terrible hardships. But yet, they were able to, in abundance of joy, overflow into a wealth of generosity. And why? And this is it. It's the grace that they had received. This is, um, this is the point of everything. This is what should drive everything. So, I mean, like last week we looked at serving. So what drives us to, why would anybody serve to somebody else who's not going to serve us back? It's because of the gospel. It's because of what God has done for us. So because God, not because we did anything, not because the Macedonian church did anything, to deserve it, God gave them that grace. He gave them their, that salvation. And they were so happy. They were so joyful because of that that they wanted, that it just overflowed in gratefulness to give. And so just, just think about that. I mean, this is what should drive us in everything. I mean, the Son of God, who had everything, came into this world and suffered. I mean, he was mistreated, he was beaten falsely accused, he was mocked. I mean, he had nowhere to lay his head. I mean, we talk about money. I mean, Christ had nowhere to lay his head. He endured the ultimate suffering on the cross when God turned his back on him. That's, I mean, he had God turn his back on him so that we never have to have God turn his back on us. And so it's by his poverty, we were able to become rich. By him letting go, we were able to have all the riches of the kingdom. And that's what drove the Macedonian church. That's what drove them to want to give. Because see what it did? Is it took their eyes off of themselves. All of a sudden, they didn't think about their own suffering. They didn't think about their own hardships. What they thought about was others. They thought about God. And so it just it overflowed into that generosity. So that, that's the point. So, um, so again, it's... And then to look at this in, in another way too, it's this gift, this grace is a gift. Notice when Paul says in verse 1, he says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given to the church in Macedonia. So even their desire to give was a gift. So, the Mas so Paul's not, he's not lifting up the church. He's not saying, look how great these people are. He's lifting up God. He's saying, look at, look at this amazing grace that God gave this church. So that they're able to give. I mean, when we get to heaven, I mean, I'll, I'll go through a few examples later, but when we get to heaven, we're not going to celebrate the Macedonian church. We're not going to celebrate all these, you know, very generous people that have, you know, let go of everything for the sake of the gospel. We're going to celebrate God. All, we're all there because of his rescue and only because of him. 
All our, everything we have is from him. That's why Paul says to the same church in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? Um, so he's given us everything. So when we give, it's not so that we can boast about it or puff ourselves up. It's not about us. It's all his anyway. Um, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 6, I mean, this, a lot of this flows from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked a lot about money on the Sermon on the Mount because he gets to the heart of the draw of money. And this is what Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, and I think Don Carson, he comments on this section perfectly, saying, Jesus recognizes how easy it is for sinners to engage in worthy, philanthropic, and even religious activities, less in order to do what is right than to be admired for doing what is right. So if being thought generous is more important than being generous, then the act of piety becomes an act of impiety. So you see what he's saying there? It's people were, the Pharisees, they were more concerned about people thinking they were generous than actually being generous. It's that desire of the heart to say, look at me. But see, the heart of the Macedonian church and the heart for us should be, look at what God has given us. It's not to puff, us up, puff ourselves up. It's to show everybody Christ. It's to show his generosity. So, I mean, for us, do, do we pray that God would give us that heart of generosity? Do we acknowledge that the only way we can have a heart of compassion for others and a love for others and a desire to give is because of the mercy and grace of God? So the heart, again, just one more time, so the heart of, for our generosity is not to make much of ourselves or make a name for us. It is an overflowing of thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. That's the heart of it. So the gospel drives us to freedom. It drives us away from being consumed with our own needs and wants and onto the needs of others. So the question then we can ask is not how much do I have to give, but how much can I give? And so what does this look like? What does this look like practically? Because this, this is the heart. And so we see right here in their great example of what it looks like practically. So second, um, the Macedonian church gave sacrificially. They gave in a severe test of affliction and extreme poverty. Because they knew the free gift of grace that God had given them, they were able to give not just generously, but give more than they... Paul says in verse 3, they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. They were able to do that because of the gospel. No matter what their circumstances were, their eagerness to give never changed. Because they had given the gift of grace, their primary thoughts were not on their own suffering and poverty, but God opened their eyes to see that Christ alone was so much more satisfying than the comfort, ease, wealth, health, and whatever else the holding on to their money could bring them. Look at what, this is what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And I, and I think this is probably at the forefront of a lot of the people who gave in that church. Uh, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so that's what they were looking at. 
that's, so essentially they were saying, how, why could they give sacrificially? They were essentially saying their security, their hope, everything they wanted was in Christ. They were saying Christ was their comfort. Christ was their security, not money. And so they were, they were showing that to the world around them. Um, and, and this isn't just an isolated passage of scripture. This is just one of many. I mean, you look at the Gospels. Look, look at when people met Jesus in the Gospels. Look at when, you know, the story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19. What did Zacchaeus do? He gave, when he met with Jesus, Jesus came to his house. He said, I want to give half my goods away to the poor. You know, I'm going to pay back four times what, you know, I've defrauded anybody. You know, Jesus didn't ask him. He didn't, Jesus didn't come to his house and say, now before, you know, you can really know me, this is what you have to do. No, it was because he met Jesus. You know, look at Matthew 26, the, the woman with the alabaster jar of ointment, and she pours it on Jesus, and you know, his, his, his disciples are angry because it's so expensive. Um, you know, that jar was so, worth so much money, and that's all she had. I mean, this, is, this represented, that jar of ointment represented her security. It represented her savings, her retirement, everything she had, and she poured it on Jesus. Because it represents, she's, she's saying, you can take care of me. You know, I'm pouring out everything to you. She's giving Jesus everything. Um, and again, we looked at Acts, you know, the, the early church in Jerusalem, and people were selling their possessions to take care of other people um, who, and those in need. And so what they're showing is um, that their security ultimately is in Christ. It's, it's not in their finances. It's not in what that can do. And so that causes them to be generous. Um, and I, I, just, I just want to read a little bit from George Mueller. Now, if you, if you know the story of George Mueller, you, you probably think of his orphanage and just the amazing faith he had in, in, through prayer. Um, but what I didn't know until I read about him is that this faith that he had through his prayer, his trust he had in God to take care of all his needs and the needs of all his orphans was actually cultivated over a lifetime. And so, actually when he first got, he was a pastor and he, he goes to England and he takes a church. He was, him and his wife when he first got married were driven to fully trust God for all of their needs. And so, they, he refused to take a salary, and he said, they put a box in the back of the church and said, you know, if you want to help me out, just put money in that box. And he, he, him and his wife vowed that they would never tell anybody of their needs and fully trust God. Now, they had to, he even says, like, this isn't for everybody, and, you know, he had to really convince the people to do this because they thought he wouldn't be taken care of. But you, you see through his autobiography, in his diary again and again God takes care of him and this is what he says because he got criticized for it a lot but this is what he says he says some may say that such a way of life leads a Christian away from the Lord and from caring about spiritual things they say it may cause the mind to be occupied with questions like what shall I eat what shall I drink and what shall I wear I've experienced both ways and know that my present manner of living by trusting God for temporal things is connected with less care Trusting the Lord for supply of my temporal needs keeps me from anxious thoughts like, will my salary last and will I have enough for the next month? In this freedom, I am able to say, my Lord is not limited. He knows my present situation and he can supply all I need. 
Rather than causing anxiety, living by faith in God alone keeps my heart in perfect peace. This way of living has often revived the work of grace in my heart when I began to grow spiritually cold. It also has brought me back again to the Lord after I've been backsliding. It is not possible to live in sin and at the same time, by communion with God, draw down from heaven everything one needs for this life. Frequently, a fresh answer to prayer quickens my soul and fills me with great joy. And so again, it's just this, these are just examples um, of what the gospel can do, what, what living by faith can do to drive somebody to a sacrificial type of giving. So again, it's giving for the Christian, generosity, giving away our money, is one way, it's only one way, again, and I do just want to point out in verse 7, um, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So again, this is just one part. There's, there's like what we looked at last week, serving is, is another part. So the, the, the giving, the generosity is just one way. And, and again, like he said in the video, generosity of money is just one way we can be generous. You can be generous with your time and, and other things. But giving our money for the Christian is one way we can use our money to, an inv- to invest for an eternal reward. Giving helps us break free from all that money can wrap around our hearts. Giving says God is sufficient. So now, just before, as we move into our last point, like the joy of generosity. Because we can talk about all these examples all we want. We can look at scripture, we can look at people like George Mueller and the missionaries and these great, great men and women of faith that have just given away everything to tr- put their trust in God. But unless you understand the joy, unless you understand why, what their heart is, then it's just, it's, it's just like a, it's a form of stoicism. Um, it, it's just a form of, it can be a form of bringing attention to ourselves too. See the, see, the heart, what drove all these people, what drove the Macedonian church, what drove um, the apostles, the disciples, what has driven people is something better. And that's what we want to look at, just the last thing. Like, what were they looking forward to? And just one more example um, to sort of transition. Uh, David Livingston was a missionary in Africa. And I think he, he really captures the heart of, of this joy that we're, working, we're looking at. Um, so everybody had always come up to him and when he came back to England after years of service said, talking about sacrifice, everything he sacrificed. You know, look at how great your sacrifice was. And he's, um, so he goes and speaks to a group of students at Cambridge And this is what he says. He says, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. 
All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. And so how can he say that? How can he say it's a privilege to suffer? We shouldn't say it's a sacrifice. It's a privilege. And he's, not doing, he's doing it because of the gospel. But this gospel offers us something better. I mean, look at um, Hebrews 12, 12, at Jesus himself. It says, 12, 2, I'm sorry. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So what was this? What is this thing that they're looking forward to? Um, and again, in I just, Hebrews 11.39, after the writer of Hebrews goes through the great men of faith and women of faith, um, he says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And so, so you see that pattern throughout Scripture. So it's not, they're always looking for something better. They're always waiting. They don't get everything that's promised right now. And so they're looking for that eternal reward. And I, th- and I think that's what drove, drove the Macedonian church. It was, so in verse 2, when it says, their abundance of joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their, port, on their part. They're looking for something better. They know this life isn't everything that there is. Let me try and, I'm almost out of time, but let me try and put this another way. So, so what's the opposite of what the Macedonian church is doing? The opposite is being selfish, with it, not being generous, being selfish, stingy, um, spending money only on ourselves. And so what it sort of comes down to is this, what separates the church or those who believe and those who don't is how do you view God? Because if you view God as, as stingy or unfair, um, you're more likely to put your trust in money. Because money gives you an immediate sense of control in that moment. So you live in the moment, constantly looking for satisfaction right here and now. So we feel like everything that, look, we are created to long for heaven. We are cre- created to long for those rewards that Christ gives us. But where we struggle with in, in our money and our generosity is we, we're living for the here and now. We think we need it now. But like what Paul is saying, Paul says in, in um, Romans 8, 18, you know, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's be, to be revealed to us. So look, we're, we're free to use our money however we want. That's the point of this. It's, it's about a heart, a heart of generosity that, that drives us to give. But we want to live in the here and now. We want that heaven now. Um, and so we, we want to spend on it here and now. Um, you know, here's author Paul Tripp says, you know, I'm convinced that so much of our spending is an attempt to buy life, to buy the things that we think we need to satisfy our longing. We have tried to buy life and it has not worked. It has left us fat, addicted, in debt, and discouraged, but still hoping that life can be bought in this material world somehow and some way so the only joy and i think what all those examples showed us the only joy that will satisfy us is the eternity with jesus christ that's the joy we long for that's why so what can cause us to let go of the things of this world 
It's that joy that we have in Christ, knowing that his kingdom is eternal and that everything that we're giving to is an investment into that eternity. Because we, we were created to long for that. So I just want to try and... So this is the bottom line here is we just have, we have a choice on how to live and use the money God has given us. So there's two kingdoms, two kingdoms we can live for. We can either live for our own kingdom and use everything, all the resources God has given us on it for ourselves, or we can see his kingdom and live for his kingdom and the kingdom that he's already working for. See, the, the, all the money we have, all our resources, even our talents, um, our time, it's all a gift. It's all a gift from him. And so when we give, that's why we give out of gratitude. It's not that we're giving something back. It's not as though we can say, look how great we are. Look how generous we are. We're giving because he gave to us as, as a chance to just be a part of the work he's doing. I'll just end with this. So this is the gospel, the good news that Christ has brought us. There's something so much more better and more satisfying than living for self. He's inviting us to be the part of the work he is doing in bringing his people to himself. He gives us great resources to do that. And we should view ourselves as a funnel through which God gives his resources through to then we can give and take care of others. That's how, and I'll just end with this. He says in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. And so again, it's why could this church give to another poor church, even though they had nothing? It, it was love. It was the love that, caused, that pushed them through um, with the gospel. So I know I'm running over, so I'll pray and get going. So Lord... Uh, Thank you for the grace you've given us through your Lord Jesus, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That though you were poor, though you, though you were rich, you became poor for our sake. Um, God, just help us to have a heart of generosity. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and our own needs and wants, and help us to see just the suffering world around us. Those brothers and sisters that are in need. Just help us, Lord, to. Put all our satisfaction, our security, not in our money or our savings or in anything we possess, but just all in you. And just help us as a church to just have a heart of generosity that overflows um, so that we can show you to the world. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.